Good morning. It's attorney Vincent Davis, and you're on with uh, Get Your Kids Back Now. It's Saturday, September 17th. Uh, 2016. I'm broadcasting today live from Orange County, California. Um, our topics today we're going to include um, what people should do in preparing for their trials, their first trials in juvenile court. That would include what is called the jurisdictional hearing, which a lot of people call the adjudication, and also the disposition hearing. We're also going to be talking about um, in my opinion, a historic case that's going on right now in downtown Los Angeles where um, a mother whose child was taken away from uh, her by uh, DCFS is suing the county of Los Angeles and the children's um, social workers uh, for many, many different things, including constitutional violations and deception. Um, I know a few members of the trial team that represent uh, the plaintiff in that case, and uh, we'll be talking about that case uh, a little in depth today as well. So first of all, I, I want to talk about uh, the jurisdictional and dispositional hearing. Uh, these, especially the dispositional hearing, is probably the most important hearing that's going to take place uh, during a juvenile dependency uh, proceeding. It requires that uh, the court make some very substantial findings against the person or the parent before the child can be taken out of their custody. <clears throat> At the, the jurisdictional hearing, which occurs first, but in a lot of courtrooms in California, they occur at the same time. You have the jurisdictional hearing and the dispositional hearing. And the jurisdictional hearing is really um, where the social worker must prove by a preponderance of evidence uh, that the allegations that are made against you uh, are true and correct. At the dispositional hearing, which is covered by a completely different statute, the social worker must prove, and uh, I, I, I'm always surprised about how many people don't realize what I'm about to say, but the social worker must prove by clear and convincing evidence, which is a very high burden in California, that you are a substantial danger. Not risk, but danger. And not just danger, it has to be substantial danger. <clears throat> in my opinion, there are very few people that fall in that category, but a lot of people routinely lose their children under this statute. Uh, and the children are placed, suitably placed out of their custody for at least the next six months. And in a lot of instances, um, ch uh, children are not returned to parents for various reasons. Um, before you go into your jurisdictional and dispositional hearing, <clears throat> it's my recommendation that you uh, have a conversation with your attorney, uh, sort of a strategy session uh, before the court date. Um, some of the things that you and your attorney should be talking about are the witnesses and the documentary evidence that you're going to produce during the, uh, the trial. So, for example, there may be allegations against you in the report uh, and statements about you in the report that may not be true. Well, unless you bring um, some type of uh, evidence to counter that um, uh, 
that report by the social worker, um, by definition, you, you have to lose <clears throat> because <clears throat> the social worker has put in more evidence into the before the judge into the courtroom and um, the social worker will necessarily win. So if you don't get on the stand and testify and if you don't get on the stand and testify, um, you may be um, not winning that particular part of or phase of the case. Um, I recently read a, an, an unpublished decision in California. Um, it had to do with uh, the usage of drugs and testing positive um, by a parent. And it's unpublished, so um, it's not able to be used by parents and by their attorneys in court, citing it as authority. However, that case did cite several published cases um, that can be cited. And the analysis was basically, in a drug case, if you test positive for drugs, that does not mean that you automatically lose the jurisdictional hearing. There are several things that the social worker must prove um, uh, in order to win the jurisdictional hearing against you. One of the things that the social worker must prove, the social worker must prove that um, the drug, your drug usage may in fact um, interfere with your ability to parent and care for your child and it exactly poses a risk. Um, and in a lot of cases uh, that I come across, uh, that's not necessarily true, even if the person, uh, you know, tested positive. In a lot of cases, people test positive because of prescription medication that they are taking um, that was uh, prescribed by a doctor or um, accidentally prescribed by a doctor. I'm involved in one case right now where I have uh, the client's prescription, and uh, if she took that prescription during her pregnancy, she would test positive for opiate. Um, the social worker's report said that she interviewed the doctor, and he said uh, that he would never um, prescribe such a medication to a pregnant woman. And uh, I mean, if it wasn't such a tragic situation, it would almost be funny because, um, you know, I, I have the prescription <clears throat> allegedly assigned by him, and I have the prescription from the pharmacy, the bottle. So unless he that's, that the doctor is brought in and put up on the stand under oath, you know, where the judge will probably um, believe his statement in the social worker's jurisdictional slash dispositional uh, report. So you want to get your, your, your witnesses lined up. You want to probably talk about some strategy to cross-examine hostile witnesses or witnesses who have made statements or allegedly made statements against you. Um, the other thing that you want to do is you want to talk to the, um, the attorney about the dispositional phase because um, it has been said by our Supreme Court that this particular hearing is what, what makes this whole entire system constitutional. And it's because the social worker, can't, even if you lose the jurisdictional hearing, the social worker can't take your children away from you um, unless the social worker proves by clear and convincing evidence <clears throat> that uh, you're a substantial danger to the child. And, and this is the important part a lot of people leave out, and there are no less restrictive alternatives. Now, with respect to the clear and convincing evidence, 
what I like to do is, if possible, I like to subpoena in my clients' um, uh, counselors and parenting instructors and that type of thing to show that my client is not a substantial danger to this child. Uh, perhaps if, the, if in a case involving drugs um, or suspicions of drugs, the client has been testing for a month or two and you know uh, he or she is testing clean. You want to get those test results in. Uh, the other thing that I like to do is I like to uh, put the social worker, the dependency investigator, and sometimes the services worker on the stand and uh, ask them just point blank, is my client a danger, a substantial danger to each child? And I don't do it, I, I, I try not to do it as a group if there's more than one child, I, I do it um, per child. And uh, sometimes I give the surprising answer such like, no, your client's not a danger. Um, she's a risk, and, but that's not the test. So it is a question for the judge to determine, but it's always nice to have testimony from the social worker saying your client's not a danger to the child. If the, if the social worker does say that uh, you your client is a danger to the child, I then try to drill down with the social worker and I ask her to name all of the reasons why that my client is a danger. Now that's a very important part of the cross-examination because a lot of times the social worker looks at me you know with a blank stare, doesn't know what to say or doesn't have or realizes what she has been saying is not um, you know very persuasive and she had no idea that she'd be challenged on um, you know, on this particular topic. And sometimes I've even asked the social worker, I've given them a pen and a piece of paper to write down all the reasons. And of course, sometimes it's very difficult to do while you're on the witness stand. So instead of getting, you know, 20 reasons, uh, they maybe give me one, two or three reasons. And uh, then I try to drill down on each of those reasons and ask them for the evidence or the facts that they have to support that reason. Uh, you'd be surprised. A lot of times, social workers will tell you uh, on the witness stand, "Well, that's just what I feel. I don't, I don't really have any evidence." And um, of course, that makes for a good record if you're the parent, because it's going to be difficult for the uh, for the judge to make a finding uh, to suitably place the child or the children out of your care. So um, it's important that you also speak to your attorney about what documentary evidence you're going to uh, present. Documentary evidence includes, you know, documents with type written information on it. It includes pictures. It includes uh, DVDs, videos. Um, I'm involved in a case right now where we're getting uh, the DVDs, uh, uh, the videos cut, um, edited so they can go all in one DVD. And we're going to play that DVD in court to show some type of uh, evidence uh, to hopefully it's persuasive to the judge. Uh, somebody once told me, <clears throat> asked me, well, do you know who Rodney King is? And I thought about it and I said, yes, I know who Rodney King is. And they said, well, the only reason why you know who Rodney King is because somebody made a videotape of Rodney King getting the beat down by the police. And I think, I don't know if it was the Highway Patrol or just the police, uh, the LAPD, um, in that famous case uh, uh, where he was a, an African-American man stopped by the police and, uh, and then apparently beaten. Um, so I, although uh, 
I think Mr. King won a, a substantial amount of uh, award for his civil rights violations. And although the, the, the police officers were found not guilty in the state court, I think some of them were prosecuted under federal law and were uh, and did receive jail time. So video is very popular, excuse me, very um, important and very persuasive with the finder of fact. In this case, it's not a jury, it's a judge. So you might want to consider the pictures in the video and also um, any other documentary evidence you may have. Um, I was involved in a case probably two years ago where the social worker uh, testified and, and said in her report, well, the therapist told me ABC. And I brought in the therapist, and I brought in the therapist's uh, notes and records. And uh, she specifically said, I never told the social worker ABC. I told her XYZ, which to the astonishment of everyone, um, you know, everyone was wondering, hey, why did the social worker um, re report something that, you know, was not true? I don't know if the social worker ever, in that case, ever contended that it it wasn't true because that social worker was never put on this, back on the stand to refute the fact that she's told the uh, the therapist or that the therapist didn't tell her ABC. So these are important questions that you should be having with your lawyer before the court hearing, and uh, you should you know try to strategize a plan before you have the trial and try to figure out what your ultimate goal is in the case. And of course, you must be truthful and you must be realistic. Um, so before you have that conversation with the attorney, make sure that uh, you are clear about your goals and uh, the reality of your situation. Uh, sometimes I get clients who um, hire me and they think that, you know, I'm a magician and I'm not a magician. I'm just a lawyer and I can only work with the facts that I have. So I can't make things disappear or change uh, reality. So before you have that conversation with your attorney, you should come to the realization about the allegations that are being made and talk to yourself about whether they're really true or not true. The next thing I want to talk about this morning um, is what I believe is a historic civil rights case that's going on in the Los Angeles Superior Court uh, in downtown Los Angeles, 111 North Hill Street. Department, I believe it's Department 89, Judge William McLaughlin presiding. This is a case where a woman by the name of Duval, Lena Duval, is suing the county of Los Angeles and some social workers, I think four or five social workers, for violating her, among other things, for violating her civil rights. And uh, the case has been going on, I think, about five years. Last week, this past week, um, uh, I was there a few of the days and watched a, a very long jury selection process, um, much longer than you get usually in federal court. But um, I found out yesterday that the jury um, has been selected. Uh, the lead trial attorney is a gentleman from San Diego. His name is uh, Sean McMillan. Um, he's had... Uh, uh, a great deal of success suing social workers in the past, and uh, he has amassed a incredible trial team of attorneys and um, trial a, a very well known and very good trial consultant, in my opinion, um, by the name of Daniel Ambrose, and um, they are do getting ready to do battle uh, with the County of Los Angeles.
who is also represented by a very um, fine, tough uh, defense firm out of Pasadena, and the head trial attorney there, uh, I think his last name is Gutierrez, um, and they represent the county of Los Angeles in a lot of uh, cases against the social, you know, or people sue social workers. And um, they have picked the jury, and I guess at 9 o'clock on Monday, uh, they start the opening statement. I'm going to be trying to rearrange my schedule so that I can go down and watch the opening st uh, statement by these two fine attorneys. Um, I think uh, I think the Ms. Duvall and her attorneys are, have a very strong case against the county and the, and the social workers, and uh, we'll see what justice will be done. Um, it's scheduled, I was told, for five or six weeks of trial. The plaintiffs had about 79 witnesses on their witness list. So it's going to be a long trial. The Department 89 is a long cause, what they call a long cause courtroom. And so uh, there's no, um, everybody knows that it's going to be a long involved case. Um, I think that it's historical because in the past, uh, among attorneys who, you know, do this, um, a lot of attorneys don't like to take cases to sue the social worker unless the child was returned uh, to the parent. And uh, in this particular case, Ms. Duvall never got her child back. The case closed. And uh, even in family law, the family apparently the family law judge is sticking with what the juvenile judge stuck with. And uh, in this trial, it's to show that... Uh, Mistakes were made, uh, untruths were told uh, in the juvenile dependency court, which caused uh, Ms. Duval to lose her child uh, to the custody of the father. And apparently she and the father don't get along at all. So it's going to be a very important case because I think if Mr. McMillan and Ms. Duval um, prevail on this type of case, um, I think it's going to give the courage to a lot of lawyers, including myself, to take cases where people never got their child back, um, but to try to prove deception and fraud by the county and the social workers in a late, later civil suit that caused the, uh, you know, the parent to lose the child basically on a permanent basis. So um, if anyone wants to see some very fine attorneys on both sides uh, start this battle, this epic battle, this historical battle, it's Department 89 of the Los Angeles Superior Court. It's on the fifth floor, 111 North Hill Street. It starts Monday at 9 a.m. Um, if you happen to see me there, I am trying to be there at 9 a.m. to watch this. Uh, please come up and say hello, introduce yourself. Um, I'm always uh, happy to meet uh, people who listen to our show. Um, I'm going to take our first call. I'm getting real backed up on the board here. Um, our first call is from area code 562, ending in 48. Good, Good morning, morning, you're on sir. with attorney Vincent Davis. Hello, this How is are you? Daniel. I'm doing well, thank you. Daniel, did... Good. Did you have a question or a story to share? Well, a little bit of a story. Uh, my daughter was taken from me uh, at the hospital. Social worker came and had allegations that... Uh, I smoked marijuana every day, I did drugs, I did alcohol, all these things that she bombarded me with. And um, I'm just sitting there thinking to myself, no, no, no. 
uh, in the beginning, I told her I can't really talk to you unless I have an attorney here representing me. And she had explained to me, you're not in any trouble. If we don't talk, I'll have to call the police. Your child will be taken from you. And so I tried to cooperate without uh, divulging too much information. But everything that she came at me with, which was a lie, I told her no, no, no. And so she had her opinion already made up, and they took my child from me. I was devastated. And, uh, you know, I knew I should have had an attorney right then and there, but she made out trying to be friendly, like, we're not going to take your child. I just need you to answer some questions. So, you know, that that ended up being over a two-year battle, which you know yourself. You helped me with it, and I thank you and your team for helping out. But they did get their wires crossed up, and through the court process, wires were crossed. Um, My original attorney agreed for me to do a 730 evaluation, and it was through somebody uh, with the courts, a forensic psychologist, and I went ahead and did that. It took months for her to get that back to the court, so I got back to the court with my report and sit down with this man and sit down with the courts, and uh, he's saying, your name's Robert Johnson? My attorneys tell me that. And I said, no, my name's Daniel. What do you mean, Robert Johnson? He goes, well, it says right here in this forensic report, your name's Robert Johnson. The court's got my paperwork mixed up with somebody else. And that's the kind of stuff that I went through through the whole process, people mixed up letters, different uh, reports and things of the situation, and then all in a negative way. And then, you know, I just kept fighting and got it all straightened out. But any other court, they would have thrown the thing out <clears throat> from the mistakes that they made. This court, they just continue it. And, uh, you know, I got it all straightened out. But, again, it took over two years. And, and you got you went in there one day and turned it all around. I really appreciate that. But people really have to be cautious. you got to be careful. You know, your words, you really have to stop and think and choose your words wisely. You may say something, but they are interpreted in a different way. Just like when I was taking the 730 evaluation, it's a five-and-a-half-hour test. The lady kept checking on me, are you okay? Are you okay? And I said, yeah. She said, well, what's taking so long? And I said, I'm reading this, and I want to make sure that I interpret what has been written by the author that wrote it. I don't want to give an answer assuming something else and find out that was wrong. They meant for it to be, you know, understood in a different manner. So there's a whole bunch of issues, and uh, it's a negative situation. It's all about getting our kids back. It's not about us. They kept pointing the finger at me, you, 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 and I said, it's not about me. It's about my daughter, my daughter coming home. I love my daughter with all my heart. When this happens, it's like you want to put your dukes up and fight, but you can't do that in this situation. You can't get angry. You need anger classes, you know. I know the whole little scenario, uh, how they come at you, and I was trying to deal with that accordingly. And, again, they they twist up the reports, which appalled me when I read about them. So, basically, that's what I wanted to say. You know, things do get turned around. Well, thank you very much for calling and sharing that story. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Mr. Davis. Have a great day. You too. Okay, the next call I'm going to take is area code 909, ending in 52. 
Hello, uh, Mr. David. Good morning. Can you hear me? Yes, I can, loud and clear. Did you have a story to tell or a question to ask? Hello? Okay, it seems that we had some technical difficulties. All right, the next uh, call I'm going to take is from area code 760, ending in 12. Good morning. morning. You're on with Vincent Davis. Uh, how are you doing, Mr. Davis? Hi, did you have a... Good. Did you have a story to tell or a question to ask? Um, no, no, no. I, I got something uh, probably very important that your listeners would be more than happy to hear. Um, there's a class action lawsuit being formed right now in 50 states. It's called CAPRA. And um, I lost my parental rights in 2011 <clears throat> due to CPS uh, false allegations. Um, they violated my due process rights, countless other uh, rights that I proved in a habeas corpus, but still didn't went through the Court of Appeals. But um, I, I stumbled across this lawsuit and joined. And um, it's a great thing because it's being done in 50 states. We've got 13 days before it's filed in the in, in the courts, the federal courts. And um, I would like your viewers to get. Um, can I can I give this information out? Certainly. Um, it's a uh, well for your viewers that lost your rights from 2011 and up. You have a right to join. And um, if you've been victim of CPS corruption and false allegations, I, I encourage you to join. Um, the winners of this lawsuit will regain rights to their, their their parental rights. They'll get their kids back, and a share to the hefty amount of money that that they are expected to win. Which the money is not the issue. It's our kids that are basically the most important thing. And um, so I'm going to share this. If I mean, can we put this up on your website for later callers? And and I, I'll, I'll provide the information for you after. Um, it's hashtag parentalrightsclassaction.com. And what this CAPRA stands for is constitutional. Constitution Association of Parental Rights Advocates. These are the people that form this, and um, it's an awesome thing. I mean, that hope is back. You know, I, I, there's a possibility now that I can get my boys back, and that's just, you know, to me, that's that's everything. And um, yes, I, I have a record, um, but I was I was in a I was in a violent felony, uh, violent felony uh, offend, offender, like they said I was. Um, so they they ran with a lot of false allegations in my in my in my case, and I and I went and seen you, Mr. Mr. Davis, and and I know my case was really old at the time when I went and seen you, and there was really not too much you could do, and I understand that you know, and 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 I understand the process now. Um, I became a uh, after this happened, I I got so so much into the juvenile dependency courts and the laws and the welfare institution codes that I learned a lot, and I seen where it went wrong, and I seen where a good lawyer would have came in and um, turned it around for me. You know, I was using a court-appointed attorney who uh, basically, right there, in effect, assisted the counsel. I mean, he didn't do really nothing, but, you know, let them do what they did. And I understand, too, he's only a lawyer. He can only do so much. But there was a lot of information that I learned later that he could have used that would have got a grip in that case and would have turned it around because I could have, I could have proved false allegations on CPS part. I could have proved all the... Um, the um, just, just all the wrongdoing by the courts itself by not following the Constitution or the, or our rights, and um, so this is a great thing. Um, I will I will definitely give the information out. Um, you're going to need a member's code to join. Um, feel free to use mine. It will be up in on Mr. Davis's website. Everybody join. The bigger it is, the more impact we're going to have. We're going to change CPS and we're going to change the juvenile dependency courts and the way they do things.
Well, thank you for that information. Give us the website one more time. It is um, HTTP, I believe that's the hashtag um, symbol or something, Parental Rights Class Action, Parental Rights Class Action dot com. And um, you will need a member's uh, a member's who code, are huh? Who, Excuse me. Who are the attorneys that are handling? Who are the attorneys representing? It's clients? uh, they're they're an organization called. They have attorneys on there too. Um, Constitution Association of Parental Rights Advocates. And um, just go onto that website, and there'll, there'll be a, a join link. And the join link will basically you give them your name, <clears throat> case number, everything has to be right. Make sure you follow those. If you have to re-register again and get it right, do it. I did it three times because I had to go back and read, and there were some little things that I missed. But they encourage you. We have 13 days before it's filed. Um, you could also well, on that day we're gonna we're gonna blow a lot of noise on, on, in in the airwaves on the web, and um, we're encouraged to find more members. We're encouraged to let everybody know in America what's going on with our with our juvenile dependency courts and with our CPS whose primary job was to protect our kids not take them and steal them and put them up <laughs> for sale that's what it seems like that's what they did to me and it's a it's horrifying that my boys um were taken like that off of uh something that was could have been um the mother the mother just put him in danger she was barely under the influence of alcohol didn't have my son restraint and basically, they don't really want to stop. So it was a slow speed evasion until she got to her sister's house, which was two blocks away. Cops stopped her. And right there was a child endangerment, enough to cause for CPS to step in and remove my kids and my son, who my other little son, who was at home with his grandmother. They took them both. <clears throat> I mean, and it's uh, that's what's going on right now. Well, why, didn't you, um, well, why didn't you get the children? At the time, I was incarcerated for a nonviolent offense. And... Um, there's no, there's no, there's no way just because you're incarcerated that I should lose my parental rights, but I did, and then what I, and how I did that was because I have an old case which was a GBI that was dismissed, but the the uh, social workers went into my file and seen that there was a GBI there, they didn't bother to say it was dismissed, and then right there they they filed, I guess in welfare institution codes you could lose your rights if you're a 667B felony, uh, violent felony offender, and that was the case with me. I proved later that that was not true by showing them all my records, showing them the dismissal of that, and um, I still didn't get my rights back. It, already, they were, it was already like in the process. It was already the ball was rolling, and there was no way to stop it. Um, I don't even think a, 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 a really good lawyer at that time probably would have um, done something because the way the courts were doing it was they were did not want to hear anything I had to say. When I went in there, they just basically let me speak for a little bit, and it was like they went through one ear and out the other. I couldn't believe it, you know. And I was I didn't fully wait, understand wait. why they were taking my rights at the time. Yeah. Hold on, hold on a second. Where was sure. your case? What county? Um, San Bernardino, uh, Victorville. Well, um, San Bernardino um, Juvenile Dependency Courts on Gilbert Street. And when did that? Yeah. When did you lose your parental rights? Uh, uh, June six, two thousand thirteen. Yeah. Because, you know, the way the law is, and, and this is my opinion, but if you're in custody and um, you can make a plan for your children while you are in jail uh, with a friend or relative, it's my opinion, they can't take the child away from you. Did anybody... And I did um, that. Did anybody ask you if you could do that? 
yeah, no, I did do that. I had my mother, I had my mom who's uh, up in age, has a disability, but was able, you know, to uh, temporarily have guardianship or, and what they, they were pushing for adoption. The first um, plan for action was adoption, which was totally, totally wrong. I mean, they should have went with the long-term guardianship, gave me at least, because I was due to get out um, very soon. My, my, my time length was just right over their services offered. I think about a month or month or two, you know, and I couldn't believe it because the court didn't have what the, the power of discretion to say, okay, well, Mr. Moreno's going to be getting out on this date. Um, let's give mother uh, or grandmother long-term guardianship until the father gets on then give him a service, a, a plan, you know, uh, to, to do. And I would have done whatever they wanted. I would have did any amount of program time, um, any classes, whatever. They set the bar, I would have met it, but they didn't even give me that. You know, and it was just, it was just heartbreaking because, and to this day, I, I mean, when I got out, I, I did all these programs. I got myself into a program, which they didn't even ask me to, but I did it anyway. I, I, I went to the CPS over there in, in, in Victorville and showed them all these certificates that I did. And please give me, give me a chance to get my kids back. We can't do it. Your, your rights have been lost. There's nothing we can do, Mr. Moreno. They kept pushing me away. They kept closing the door. And, you know, it's funny because I kept calling and, and one of the, the supervisors said, you know what, Mr. Moreno, after all these years, I've never seen anybody so persistent and kept calling. And I'm going to have to tell you again, there's nothing we can do. You know, and it was just like, I can't, I couldn't let them go. You know, I, I just can't let them go. And that's, um, yeah. And I'm the fight's on, you know, I, I will not let them go. You know, I will not stop fighting until I get them back. Yeah. How old were the children when they were taken away from you and the mother? Um, Alex was uh, two years old and Tony was a little over three. So there's a six month, uh, six month with children and three that you have to, uh, have a six month, um, gap to, um, regain your kids, you know, over three, then it's a lot longer. It's, you know, it's upper in, in, in the time given to you. Mine's was three years old. He was just about to be three. I'm sorry. He was about to be three. Tony was, I mean, Alex was a little bit over, um, close to too. So um, they're very close apart, their brothers. And um, I was not given that chance, you know, I was not given that chance to get them back, you know, and, um, because of the false allegation. And they ran with that. And, you know, I, you know, it's funny is because I didn't know what was going on. My lawyer did not know what was going on. He couldn't even tell me that because you know what, he didn't even read the file. It wasn't until I lost the case that when the lawyer sent me back all my net, all my, um, my, my records from the case that I started reading through them, that I was horrified of what was going on without me even really knowing and that's when i started my my fight right there I, I i started i was in the prison law library every day almost spending hours upon hours going through the welfare institution codes and i'm uh, taking notes and i filed my first i did my own brief my my i filed uh, up to six appeals for me and the mother um the lawyers the appeal lawyers were were were, were um shocked to find out that it was me that did my own brief they thought it was a lawyer and um, I did my own habeas corpus. I, I filed a writ. Everything was denied, you know. And it was because I and I showed the court of appeals all the false allegations. And I heard this right now on the radio. You know, if I would if if I would have went in there with false allegations, the courts would have found out. They would have threw it out and um, basically probably had me in contempt or something. But yet they allowed the CPS to go in and um, do what they want, you know. And that's that's what happened with me. You know, my hope has never been gone I, I for some reason i, I feel in, in me that my boys are going to come back i always knew that and um they will 
Yeah. Well, sir, well, good luck with that class action lawsuit. Um, definitely yeah. things need to be changed, and perhaps this will be the yeah. start. And uh, hopefully your children will be returned one day to you. Thank you for your call. Oh, they will. No problem. And I'll make sure that I leave. Okay, so the next call that I'm going to take is from Mary Code 760, ending in 86. Good morning. Good morning. How are you? I'm okay. How are you, Mr. Davis? Good. Did you have a story to share with us or a uh, question to ask? A story. Well, go ahead. Um... A few years ago, I had two older children that were taken and adopted out. Just last month, they recently took my youngest, not because of anything I did, but because of other people that lived in the home and they had domestic violence. They said, provide a safe home for my daughter. And that was their grounds to take her. Now they know about my past and my other two being adopted out, and now they just want to go and adopt this one out without even trying to reunify me with her. Um, have you had your trial yet? No. Okay. So the thing that you are you still living with the uh, in the same place? No, they were kicked out, and I also have a restraining order against them. Okay, well, you have a very strong basis, in my opinion, to win your trial. And if not your trial, your disposition hearing. Uh, so they will never get to the, hopefully never get to the point of adopting your children out. Um, and it's important that you do have the trial, both the jurisdictional hearing and the dispositional hearing, to fight to get your child back. Are, is your child placed with relatives? No. Okay, are there relatives or close family friends who could take the uh, child? And by relatives, I mean a person who is related by marriage or by blood. And, you know, sometimes we have very close family friends who can also be considered to take care of the child. Um, has the social worker placed or even investigated uh, placement of the child with such people? Yes, they automatically denied them. Well, how many did the social worker investigate? Or did they just deny without investigation? Um, I believe they denied without investigation. One of them only lives four houses down for me, so I believe that was her reason for denying them. That's not a basis for denying. Do you have that in writing or an email? No. Well, that's something that has to be addressed immediately, especially if they're trying to adopt the child out. So one of the things that you want to do is you want to focus on your trials and you want to focus on getting the child with a relative in case, you know, that's your plan B. 
Yes, that's okay. my plan is to get her placed out of foster care with family or friends. And and based upon what the facts that you've told me, it doesn't seem, in my opinion, that they can even take jurisdiction over the case. And even if they did take jurisdiction over the case, it doesn't seem that you could lose a uh, dispositional hearing where the child couldn't be placed back with you. Remember, they have to prove by clear and convincing evidence that you are a substantial danger to the child, not risk, but you're a substantial danger to the child. And they also have to prove that there are no less restrictive alternatives. And, you know, in are you in San Bernardino County? Yes. Yeah. It, it, most counties, including San Bernardino, have many, many services that they can give parents if they want. The uh, key is going to be uh, subpoenaing those witnesses to court and showing that there's a lot less restrictive alternatives uh, than to place the child in foster care and up for adoption, even though that's what they're trying to do before they even win the case against you. So what I want you to yeah, do is I want you to, to give your... Go ahead. They're trying to what? They're trying to say that I'm still unfit parent, even though I've completed a bunch of classes and got my GED ever since my other two were adopted out. And they're trying well, to tell sure me that, that those you... are meaningless. <laughs> well, make sure you make copies of all your certificates and your progress letters for any classes that you have participated in and give those to your attorney so that he or she can use them in the trial and in trying to win the jurisdictional and dispositional hearing. Okay? Yes, I have. Also give your attorney a list of 25 relatives or close family friends uh, so that they can give that to the social worker to start an investigation of placement with the child with relatives. Under Section Welfare and Institutions Code, Section 309, um, uh, the social worker is supposed to investigate and um, uh, place children with appropriate friends or relatives. Yes, we're working on that okay. right now for you. Okay, well, very good. Thank good you, luck Mr. with your Davis. case, ma'am. If you have if you have any questions, give me a call. You have a great day. Thank you. Bye-bye. I want to tell the listeners that it's very important that Section 309 of the Welfare and Institutions Code, um, everyone that has access to the Internet, type in California. You can just type in California WIC 309. Um, we want to make sure that everyone reads that and that everyone understands what the social worker is supposed to be doing in order to uh, place the children, uh, if they're out of your care, with friendly relatives. So what I do in a lot of my cases, I ask my clients to make a list of 25 names, addresses, telephone numbers, emails if they have it, of relatives or close family friends. And by the way, that list, those people do not I repeat, do not have to live in your county. They don't even have to live in California. 
They can live, for example, if you have a case in L.A., they could live in Riverside. They could live in San Francisco. They could live in Shasta County. They could live in Arizona, New York, Las Vegas. You know, just they could live in Mexico, Canada. They can live in Europe. You know, um, there is a federal treaty, um, the Hague Convention, and part of that treaty is just for the placement of children in foster care so that they can be placed with relatives outside the uh, county where your case is. Now, warning, this is a big warning. Social workers don't like to do that. And they use the excuse, well, we want the kids to stay here for reunification with the parents. And if both parents agree that the child should be shipped out to a relative in another state or country, uh, there's no reason for the case to remain uh, here. But in my opinion, social workers try to tell you the case cannot be shipped out to another county or state or country because the money, the federal money for this um, this placement um, goes to or follows the children. So if you're in L.A. County and you want the child to go to, for example, um, New York, uh, the money follows the child. And it's my opinion that one of the biggest betrayals in the system is that a lot of things are done um, done because of money, not because of uh, trying to protect children and keep families together. Although that's the bill of goods that were sold, that that's what they're trying to do. So let me take the next call. Um, it's area code 562 ending in 38. Good morning. You're on with Attorney Vincent Davis. Hello? Hello. Hello. Hi. Hi. Did you have a story to tell or a question to ask? Um, a question to ask. Um, um, I had a case. I mean, I well, yeah, I had a case because Thursday it just closed after six years. And um, my question is about the civil part of it, like my rights being violated originally in the beginning of the case. Well, I mean, throughout um the case too um um mm -hmm. in the beginning um my son was taken from me uh december 24 2010 um and placed with his father and um they said it was because my parents um were too old to care for him because i had left him with my parents apparently and um i had had custody of my son I was going through a divorce, and in the paperwork for the divorce, it states there that um, um, that I have custody, but it hadn't gone through the court. Um, it wasn't stamped and by the court, so the social worker said that the paperwork was no good because I was trying to find out why they took my son and trying to get him back. And um, 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 they said the paperwork was no good, so... Um, they did one of those um, TDM meetings to find out what we were going to do. Um, I walked out of that because um, the social worker just um, didn't want to um, say anything really on my behalf. Um, there was just a lot of violations that um, I believe that were that were made. You know, false allegations. Um, um, I had tried to get my son back. Um, I went to Superior Court and filed an emergency um, order to show cause um, 
ex parte order or something like that. And the judge had signed it to get my son returned to me uh, forthwith. I went to go get my son from where he was staying with his father. And the social worker totally ignored the court order signed by a judge because um, she said the paperwork wasn't uh, real. So I went back and filed that paperwork. And he gave me, um, you know, the okay to go ahead and get my son. And she totally ignored that order. And um, there was no case yet in court, um, not until that day she notified me that I had to be in court because they were going to see my son. And so anyways, we went to court. They wound up taking him from his father, and then um, um, they placed him in foster care. And I had the relatives, you know, for her to investigate. She didn't bother looking into that. And um, I went through the programs, completed them all, and um, they were going to adopt him out. And my sister wound up taking legal guardianship of him. And so the case was closed, and that was in 2012. And um, mm -hmm. then I went back. Um, I filed a 388. In between, I had filed um, six times um, the 388, and they were denied. And finally, the seventh time, um, I was given a court date, and the judge had um, gave me back my son, and um, that was in March of 2015. And mm -hmm. they set it for another six months out, and um, um, they sent it for another six months out to make sure, I guess, uh, to see how well he was doing with me in this and that, and... Still, I mean, not till this past Thursday did it end, um, but in between, I mean, there was false allegations again made um, where they they sent somebody out to search my house for drugs and blah, 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 blah. And so I basically wanted to see about the civil rights, um, what I could do about the civil rights part of, of my case. I mean, there's a lot included, Okay, based upon a lot of details little you've told me, uh, it sounds like you might have a case. I mean, um, if you'd like me to evaluate it, uh, you and I would have to sit down and uh, talk with me and one of my associates, uh, an attorney by the name of uh, Daniel Sharp, who works with me and we evaluate these cases, whether you have a civil rights case and whether we can pursue it or not. Um, there is something that's important that you should consider. If you plan on bringing a civil rights case, you're going to have to do it soon because um, there is a, uh, a defense called the statute. Exactly. So um, if you'd like to call me on Monday or call today after 9 a.m. and call my office and make an appointment to meet with me, I'd be happy to do it. And uh, if you're in the Los Angeles right. area, we can meet at my office or we can meet over the phone or by Skype. So if you have a okay. pen, I'll give you my office number. You can call yes, and I make do. an appointment. I, okay, I it's 888 888-6582. That's 888-6582. Please okay. call that number, make an appointment, and I look forward to meeting with you. Yeah, definitely. Okay, cool. Thank you. Thank you for your story. Okay, I think I have time for uh, one more call. Uh, we're going to go to area code 951. Uh, ending in eight nine. Good morning. You're on with Hello? Davis. 
Good morning. Hello. Hello. Are you? I Good morning. You, I can hear you. Oh, you okay. I'm sorry. Question to ask. I have a question to ask. I have heard. I had my grandkids. I have custody of my grandkids, but I was going through a process of adoption. But um, due to the fact that my daughter was upset with me because they're her kids, um, she called and made allegations against me three times with CPS and plus coerced the kids to say, to, to, to match her story more or less. And so I, they gave me a seven-day notice, and I ended up fighting it in court. I had a really good judge. He was listening to me out of Riverside. And so he... Um, he overrode what the social workers was recommending to do because they was willing to take the kids. Now, all of these allegations that CPS made against me due to the fact of her calling in on me, is it any kind of way that I could possibly get that off of me, off my DOJ? Well, if the allegations were found not true by the judge, it should be removed automatically. They were, they were inconclusive. They were inconclusive, and the judge overrode their matter as far as um, taking the kids from me at this moment. Okay, so you should not be listed on what's called the Child Abuse Index. You should be – that's maintained by the Department of Justice, and you should um, – you can contact them to see if you are still listed. And if you are, you have a right to have a hearing to get that removed. Okay, okay, so I have the right to uh, get a hearing. So now how do I go about, so I call the Department of Justice because the judge overrode with the, the allegations. So that means I call, the Depart call Sacramento, call the Department of Justice, and they should be able to remove that or hearing for it to remove. Is that back with CPS again or what? What steps do I take? Well, you have to contact to find out if you're on the list, first of all. Do you do you believe uh -huh. you're on the list? You do? I think they probably did. Uh, they said, because they keep telling me that there's no way it could be taken off, that I would have to sit it out for 10 years, and um, but oh, it no, never no, goes no, away. No, no. So is that true? No. No, that's false. But let me tell you this. They shouldn't have put you on the list unless they sent you a notice saying, hey, we put you on the list and you have a right to challenge that within 30 days. Did you ever get that type of list? No, I didn't. Okay. And I called and the them and I made – what I did, I, when I found out it was inconclusive, I instantly called CPS and asked them, um, uh, asked them about it, and they said that, well, it never goes away. Okay. Well, did they confirm, though, that you're on it? I, I, to me, I feel like they have because they told me that it never goes away. So I must be on it if it's if they're saying that it never goes away. Um, That's why that I'm trying true, to not see. necessarily, not necessarily. But you can call um, and find out and make sure that you are not on it. And if you are on it, um, please contact me uh, because in the past uh, people have wrongfully put on that list um, have sued uh, the counties and the social workers uh, for substantial amounts of money as well as to force them to take them off take you off the list 
um, you can call the Department of Justice, and if you have any problems, give me a call back uh, at my office, make an appointment to talk to me, either in person, on the okay. phone, or Skype. Skype is free, and if you're ready, I can okay. give you that telephone number. Okay, hold on, because I wanna, I wanna make sure I get this off of me, because I don't want this affecting me any way in the future for anything, especially if I didn't have anything to do with it. And then um, I had all together they had six allegations against me, but two was unfounded and four was no five. They had five of them and two was unfounded and then. Uh, Three was founded, and so because my grandson, he had a teacher, and she didn't want any black kids in her classroom, so her way of doing that was calling CPS, and so for some unknown reason, which I felt like she coerced him into doing it, was he sat there and said, I hit him in the face with the mop. I said, I hit him in the face with the mop. I said, no, I haven't. And I noticed one day that I, and the reason I feel like the teacher coerced him in the sand is because she had tried to make allegations because I couldn't make it from one school to the other school in time enough. I only had like a 15-minute win window, and one school was on one side of the town, and the other school was on the other side of the town. So I couldn't make it there because they were doing constructions on the railroad, plus they were doing constructions on the street. And I explained that to the school, but they didn't take that under no kind of consideration. That was the first one, but they found that one unfounded. Then she goes back because I wasn't speaking to her, she goes back and she makes, uh, one day I was kissing him before I left. I kissed him on his forehead and I wore a dark lipstick. And so she said, oh, oh, Xavier, what is that? Is that uh, 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 somebody hit you upside your head or what? What happened? And I looked at her. I said, didn't you just see me kiss him? Why are you asking that? You just see me kiss him. Mm-hmm. So that was a comment that she should have never made. Well, take down this phone number because we're running out of time, and you and I need to talk. You may have okay. a substantial okay. lawsuit against okay. the social worker and the teacher. So it's um, yeah, they both triple eight. So what's the number? Eight 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 six five eight two triple eight triple eight six five eight two six five eight two. Okay, wait. Eight 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 six five. Eight two. Is it nine five one nine what? No, no, it's eight eight. Oh no, I keep going in and out with you. Eight 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 six five eight two. Triple eight triple eight six five eight two. Oh eight 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 and eight 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 again six five eight two. Yes, ma'am. Did I get it right? It's AAA AAA six five eight two. Yes, ma'am. Am I correct? Okay. Thank you, you so much, Mr. Davidson. I will be giving you a call. I will call DOJ tomorrow. I mean, um, Monday. I will call them early in the morning to confirm or to check to see if it's uh, on me in any kind of way. Very good. Okay. Goodbye, and thank you for calling. Thank Bye-bye. Uh, we'll be talking next week uh, more about that, the Duval versus L.A. County lawsuit, and we'll be talking about perhaps the 2-6 hearing of the termination of parental rights. Goodbye. Until then. 
Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.